So we're at the end of the series called Yours. This is a series about how to devote your life to God in worship. And today we're going to talk about the body. How do you devote your body to God? In, in many ways, it's the most personal offering that we can make, devoting our physical body to God. I think that many of us are discouraged about our bodies. As I was thinking about the sermon and praying for you, uh, I, I realized that many of us are discouraged about our bodies. And that discouragement comes from three places, I think. Other places, sure, but three places that I want to identify. The first one is temptation. The body has whims and temptations and appetites that pull us in directions that we don't want to go. When we try to lead our body with our will, it's really hard. Sometimes the body overpowers the will. Uh, and, and so we live with temptation in our bodies in many forms. That can just be really discouraging because we want to go in a certain direction. Our bodies won't cooperate. Uh, so secondly, I think that we're discouraged about our bodies because comparison. We compare our body with other people, with their body, or we compare our body with our former body, like the body that we used to have, and we come up with the conclusions that our body's not good enough, that it's not fit enough, that it's not vital enough, that it's not young enough, uh, that it's not masculine enough, that's not feminine enough. Um, and uh, so comparison brings shame about our bodies, and that can be discouraging. I think the third source of, of discouragement for our bodies is suffering. Our bodies uh, house pain, emotional pain. It can house depression uh, and also physical pain. So if you have a trial that you must endure in your life, you, you endure that trial in your body, and your body will house the results of that trial. And that can be discouraging as well. That can be wearying. So we're tempted, we compare ourselves, and we suffer. And all of this means that when we talk about the body, a lot of us feel discouraged. And it's really hard to offer up something to God as, as a joyful offering if you're discouraged about it. And so whether you're discouraged about your body or not, this morning what I want to do is I want to share with you three ways that I'm praying for you as your pastor in relationship to your body. Three ways as you live your life out in this body, I want you to know that I'm praying for you as your spiritual father and pastor and friend. And also I want to know, I, I want to encourage you to pray for each other in these three ways as well. Small group leaders praying for people in your small groups, parents praying for your children, friends praying for friends, new friends praying for new friends, um, prayer ministers praying for people coming up for prayer. Just this, These are ways I want to encourage you to pray for each other as well, but I want you to know how I'm praying for you. And this comes from 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. This was a small portion of a letter that was written by Paul uh, to a, new, a newly formed urban congregation, a young newly formed urban congregation. And in their setting, uh, back in, first, in the first century, uh, in first century Corinth, the human body was both worshipped and degraded at the same time. And we, we experience this a lot here in Chicago, that the body is both worshipped and degraded at the same time. Um, in popular culture, uh, in everyday life, the decisions that we make. But in Corinth, bodies were like sparklers on the 4th of July. You know, it's only the 4th of July once, and you, you got the sparkler one time, so you might as well, while you have the wick, you might as well light it up and like, and like watch it burn and have a great time. But then once, the, once it's used up, it's like, what good is a used up sparkler? You toss it aside. And you toss it in this huge heap of, of, of sparklers that are no use to anybody anymore. So in the middle of the circle are all these sparkling sparklers. And 
and scattered about are all the corpses and forgotten bodies of all those who don't matter to anybody. And that's what it was like in Corinth as, as it relates to the body. They worshipped bodies, they degraded bodies. And that's the context that Paul wrote this letter to Corinth, this new church, the newly formed urban congregation. So <clears throat> I'm taking my prayers from this, from this text, and we're going to walk through it together. So first of all, as your pastor, I'm praying that you would have hope in the resurrection of the body. I'm praying for you, friends, that you would have hope in the resurrection of the body. As you live your life with the body you have, I want you to be aware and encouraged by the future that your body has on the other side of death. Because when this stage of history is over and Jesus returns to remake the earth, he will retrieve the decayed remains of all who were united with him in this life. He will reconstitute our bodies. He will breathe indestructible life into them. And he will make them reflect more glory than a Lake Michigan sunrise. And he will make them house more dignity than a queen's coronation. It will be a great victory for him. It will be a great relief for us when the resurrection of the body is complete. And if we lose our hope in this promise, if we forget this, we'll find despair growing like weeds in the empty patches where hope should be growing. And we'll be more willing to give our bodies over to things that have no future in God's coming kingdom. The Corinthian church had some slogans uh, that they would pull out to excuse their sex life. And they would say things like this in verse 12, All things are, are lawful for me. Um, all things are lawful for me. Uh, verse t- uh, that was in verse 12. Verse 13, Paul quotes them. He says, Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Um, so that was a polite way of saying sex is for the body and the body's for sex. And, you know, we've only got the sparkler and the, and, the, and the fire for a short little time, so you might as well light it up. You might as well have sex because sex feels good and you only have a chance to do that once and basically. And so while the flower's blooming, you know, like you should go for it. And um, so use your appetites. Engage your appetites and because and, that's all they're there for. So sure, you know, God loves us. So the Corinthians thought, sure, we have an afterlife, so they thought, but not with this clumsy body. Of course, we wouldn't have an afterlife with this clumsy body that we have. Of course not. Our bodies are our shells. Our bodies are husks. Throw them aside. God will do something better. God um, intends to do something better. We're just kind of trapped in this lousy sparkler stick of a body. It's got a short fuse. So light it up, use it up, cast it aside, because that's about as good as it's going to get. Paul wants to, to push back on this. And so he's quoting them, and he's also like pushing back a little bit. And so look with me in verse um, 13, the end of verse 13 and 14, he says this, um, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So there's two stages to this life, what Paul is saying. Stage one is this life, or two stages for the body. Stage one is this life, and, and Paul is saying, you know, our bodies in this stage are like a sketch that's being sketched out, like a black and white charcoal on a canvas, and there are patterns that are formed that are meaningful, but then there's a second stage coming, and in the second stage, what will happen is God will take, in the power of Jesus, he will, t- he will unearth those canvases that have been buried 
and he will breathe new life into them, and he will turn them into the most incredible, beautiful oil painting that you've ever seen, but you can still recognize the patterns of the sketch. And so there's two stages to the body. The first stage of the body is the life that we're living right now. But this life that we're living right now matters a great deal because there's a second stage coming when our bodies are resurrected, when they're physical, when they have continuity with our old life, but there is also a newness about them. And we will find that the way we live the life in the body now has meaning and purpose and value and sacredness for the second stage of the body when we live forever with Jesus and his coming kingdom into greater adventures, into greater joy. So Paul wants us to know that the resurrection of our bodies in stage two should compel us to to dignified restraint of our bodily appetites in stage one. The restraint of our bodily appetites now on Sunday afternoon when it's snowing outside has merit and has meaning for the second stage when Jesus resurrects our bodies. Now, friends, look, hope is, is, is hard, okay? It cannot be forced. So you know what I'm doing? I'm praying for you that God in his power would give you hope. Jesus can give you hope. The one who will resurrect your bodies in the future can put hope in your hearts now. I'm praying that you will nurture hope, friends. I'm praying that you pray this for each other as well. Because hope isn't just something that we have in the background. Like, I believe, I assent to the fact that there will be a resurrection one day. It's a category that I decide on and click like the terms and conditions of iTunes agreements and then I never see it, really think about it ever again. I'm praying that Jesus provides you with something different. I'm praying that Jesus provides you with a rich, compelling picture of your body's future in his kingdom that will excite you. I'm praying that there will be a picture given to you that will excite you and that you will nurture that hope in your imaginations day by day. Friends, don't let your hearts lose sight of the story of heaven and earth that is being reunited in the body of Christ of which you are a part and a partaker. Don't lose sight of that hope. Nurture it. I'm praying that you will. Because when the hope for the resurrection has filled our minds and hearts, we can properly use our bodies. We can properly... Uh, engage the bodies of other people. We're less likely to denigrate the body when this hope is so rich and so deep. The weeds are less likely to sprout up when we're taking really good care of the plants. We're less likely to use other people's bodies for the pleasure that they can give us. We'll be less likely to ignore people whose bodies aren't useful to us or to society. So I pray, friends, that you will nurture this great hope in the resurrection of the body. Secondly, I'm praying that you would know healing from false unions. I'm praying that you would, would know healing in, uh, from false unions. A union happens when bodies are united in some way. False unions for the body bring pain and confusion and tearing for the soul. So I'm praying as your pastor that Jesus would bring healing to your soul in the wake of any false unions that you have experienced or been party to. My prayers are shaped by a true union and that of Jesus Christ and his bride. Paul talks about it in verses 14 and following. A true union, friends, is comprehensive. Look with me in verse 14. God raised the Lord and he will raise us up by his power. Paul wants us to see that those two things are connected. We share a future with Jesus. We share a future with him. Our futures, the future of the body of Christ, 
his bride and, and Jesus himself are connected. Like any good marriage, their futures are interlinked and bound up together, and they have something to look forward to. It's not a one-night stand. So our futures are united with Christ. Secondly, notice um, in verse, 15, verse 15 that our bodies are united with Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So in a mysterious way, our bodies have a union with Jesus that is mysterious but real. And we celebrate that and engage in it when we take communion and when we're baptized. And when we gather with the Lord's people on Sunday morning. So our futures are united. Our bodies are united. But thirdly, our spirits are united with Christ. Look with me in verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. There's a spiritual union, there's a union of souls, and the soul encompasses the body, is greater than the body. The soul integrates the body, and our souls are united with the soul of Jesus. There are no fractures in this union, friends. Futures and bodies and spirits are united between Jesus and his bride. There's no tearing. It's a seamless garment which includes our futures, our bodies, our spirits, and many other things as well. Because Jesus doesn't give a little commitment and then hold the rest back. He commits and unites himself comprehensively. You know what's so hope-giving about this union, friends, um, is that it's a sacrificial union. Jesus initiated this union with his sacrifice. He laid down his life to win his bride. When he saw the woman that he wanted to be united to, he didn't say, I want your body and I want your benefits without giving you the wrong idea about a long-term commitment. He said, this is my body broken for you. That's what he said when he saw the woman that he wanted to be united to. A true union is sacrificial. A true union is also sacramental. A sacrament is a gift that symbolizes love and communicates love. A sacrament says, not only do I give this gift, but it's symbolizing something. I'm giving you my whole life. I'm giving you this gift because I'm giving you my whole life. My whole life is behind this gift. And the bread and the wine that we take this morning have a referent. And that referent is the cross. The body and the bread, um, or the body, the bread and the wine allow us to participate in that love. They allow us to go deeper into that love. But the referent is the love that was poured out on the cross. There's a referent behind the symbol. When you give a gift to someone that you love, there's a, there's a, there's a reality behind that symbol of a gift. It would be so cruel to give a gift without any real love behind it, without a referent behind it. That's the opposite of sacramental. That's manipulation. That's giving gifts to get access. That's giving your body to get pleasure. And that's what false unions are all about. Manipulation. I give you my body, but I don't give you my life. Paul references this false union in verse 16. He says, as I was saying, he says, don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as as, as is written, the two will become one flesh. See, Christ united himself with you without holding anything back. And he says to the Corinthians, yet you are united with a prostitute. You give her your body and maybe some money to get access But you don't give any, there's no sacrifice behind it. There's no love behind it. There's no vows. There's no holiness. It doesn't last. It it lasts for 20 minutes and then you're done and you cast her aside. That's a false union. 
You've united yourself sacramentally. You've given a gift without the reality behind the gift. And then in verse 18, he references, um, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The context of this is that there's a grand story being played out. We referenced it before. The body has this amazing story that it's a part of. And when you, when you sin sexually, you go against that story. There's something profound, that, there's a profound tearing that happens between what your body's destined to as a member of the body of Christ and what you're doing with your body in the false union. It's a false union that runs counter to the story. A false union happens when you give over your body without giving over your life. It's your life for mine. Jesus' approach was my life for yours. That was his sacrificial, sacramental approach to the body of Christ. My life for yours. A false union is your life for mine. You, you pay your innocence for my pleasure, your comfort for my affirmation, your dignity for my sense of manhood. It's the union of bodies untethered from true love, it's a union of bodies untethered from a marriage commitment. A false union of bodies brings confusion to the soul because the soul expects that it will be seamless. The soul wants that. The soul has to be taught something different. And so the body teaches it something different, which is that there can be a tearing. Confusion for the soul gives way to hardness of the soul, and hardness of the soul makes intimacy so much more difficult. False unions are impersonal and, 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 and sometimes anonymous. At least they try, they try to be anonymous. And we, we live in an age where this is just really possible. At least we can try to make it possible. It's a little more possible. And perhaps you're reeling from a false union of bodies that you didn't even ask for. I just want to talk to anyone who's, who's been a victim of abuse or rape or molestation, where there's been a union of bodies that was forced upon you. You were trafficked, you were raped, you were molested. I want you to know that what happened to you was not your fault. It was not your fault. And it's okay to need help in your recovery and healing. It's okay that there needs to be some kind of process. And, and I hope that you'll stick around and that you'll tell your story to someone that you trust. I hope that this can be a place of healing for you. I really do. I pray that for you as your pastor. And I want you to know that God has good things for you. That God's future for you is bright and rich and good and deep and more profound than the false union of bodies that you did not ask for. Perhaps you have willingly participated in a false union of bodies. Maybe not just intercourse. I'm not just talking about intercourse, but all the emotional and the physical bonding that happens in a union. There's just the whole spectrum. Any kind of liaison that bonds us romantically or physically to someone else to which we have not given our whole life sacramentally. In either case, whether it was forced upon you or you willingly participated in it, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that. As your pastor, I'm praying that your soul would know healing from that false union. Um, how does that healing look like? Well, you know, confession is really good for the soul. Confession is so good for the soul. Sin splits the self, and confession is a, is a means by which we come before the, the shadow of the cross, and we talk to someone we trust, and we just talk about what happened. We tell the truth. Tearing is a lie. Confession is that lie 
coming undone. And it's so good for the soul to talk about what's happened. Um, so I want to encourage you in this community to stick around and to join a small group and to come to worship and, and, and find opportunities to confess your sins or confess the false unions, whatever it might be. Just talk about it and in the, with knowledge that Jesus hears you and forgives you. Um, if you're in an addictive pattern, seek out a recovery group as well. And that's a, a powerful place for confession. The forgiveness of your high priest, Jesus Christ, f- flows out freely to heal and to mend wherever there has been tearing. And so as your pastor, I have hope that there can be healing. And I have pastor that there is, I have uh, confidence that there is forgiveness because there's a greater high priest who forgives you and who bridges the gap and who heals everything that's been torn. So let there be tears and mourning and honesty. Let the grace of God meet you in the exact place where you've been torn. I'm praying for that. So I'm praying that you would have hope in the resurrection of the body, and I'm praying that you would know healing from false unions, and I'm praying, thirdly, that you would practice the beauty of holiness in your body. I'm praying that you would practice the beauty of holiness in your body as you live this life. You see, God designed your body to be a temple where heaven and earth meet. Um, when, 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 when the Lord met his people in a physical temple, people would, would come from all over the world to meet God at that temple. They would come, they would pilgrimage all over the place to meet God. And they would go to that temple seeking the face of God. And uh, there were priests in God's, God's temple. And they wore special garments on which it was inscribed, Holy unto the Lord. And those, those garments were draped over the bodies of men whose grandfathers had, who, uh, had bodies that were just in chains. And God delivered them from the chains of Egypt, the chains of slavery. And he took the chains off their body and he put holy garments on their bodies. And those holy garments said, holy unto the Lord. And they reflected the image of God to the world. And God commissions us to reflect his holiness to himself and to the world. And he clothes us in the garments of Christ's righteousness on the outside, and he powers us with the Holy Spirit on the inside. And we reflect God's glory to his people on the earth. We reflect God's glory to people who don't even know God on the earth. And we reflect God's glory to himself. And that's what Paul describes in verses 19 and 20. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, referencing that slavery again. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body, because you have been clothed with the garments of Jesus, and they're beautiful to God, and they're beautiful to God's people and God's world. And the chains have been taken away, so don't wear the chains. Don't wear chains and priestly garments at the same time. Like, uh, do away with the chains. And practice the beauty of holiness in your body. Live as priests in the kingdom of God. Live as sons and daughters of God who don't wear chains anymore, but only wear priestly garments. So how is the beauty of holiness practiced in this life? The beauty of holiness shines in the body when the hunger for God becomes the hunger around which all other hungers orbit. The, whole, the beauty of holiness shines in the body when 
appetites, our appetite for our union with God becomes the appetite around which all other appetites find their meaning and purpose and take their cue from. The beauty of holiness has love and passion behind it. If you're in any long-term relationship with any kind of sacramental meaning, there is sacrifice, there is love, and that love and that sacrifice wears on your body over time, and those wrinkles are wrinkles of love. In response to the Fifty Shades of Grey movie that came out, Anne Voskamp wrote an amazing, amazing essay about what sexual love means in her, in, in her own marriage. And I just look at, I think it's like a holy experience. Look it up. It's amazing. Suffering in any love, will, will, you will bear the marks and the wounds of love and any kind of sacramental union that you participate in. Any relationship that has truth and troth in it will cause you to suffer in the body. And when we carry out and exercise our love for God, when we satisfy appetites that we're called to satisfy, and we do not satisfy appetites that we, we are not called to satisfy. So, this is when intimacy and union with God is satisfied deeply, even as we suffer. Even as we suffer. But it's not about the suffering. It really isn't. It's about the beauty of holiness. It is about glorifying God, the one we love. It's about the union for God and our appetite and hunger for Him becoming the hunger that all other hungers of the body orbit. The beauty of holiness is the adventure and the joy of giving your body over to the Lord as an act of worship. So as we walk into Lent in a few days, maybe you're thinking about what do, you, what do we do for Lent? You're like, hey, I didn't grow up Anglican. You know what? Neither did I. Um, but what I've learned in this 13-year journey worshiping as an Anglican is that... Um, is that entering into Lent, is, it's a season of love. Um, it's like the real Valentine's Day, except it's 40, 40 days plus Sundays. And um, it's, it's about love. It really is love. That's what the bright sadness of Lent refers to. And so um, one question to ask yourself as you enter into Lent is, ha- have there been appetites in your life that like have chains on your body? That like they've hooked you? Like there are like uh, addictions that are starting to form or appetites that have a really, really strong hold over your body and over your life. Lent is a time where you, where you say out of love for your father, you, you go, you know what, I'm going to give this appetite over to you, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to refrain from this altogether. Or I'm going to refrain from eating solid foods one day a week. Or I'm going to refrain from um, you know, uh, sugar, alcohol, entertainment, something that has a hold on you. So that in that place where there's been chains forming, that the Lord Jesus can, can put the beauty of holiness and protect that area of your soul and, and, and give you a seamless garment of worship. And that forms your body. That, for, that forms our body so that over time they bear the wounds of love for Jesus. They bear the, the, they, they bear the garments of the holiness of God. And I pray that for you. And you know what? Whenever I do Lent, I fail at it. Okay? I fail at it all the time. And it's always an act of devotion and redevotion, because it is not my power that keeps me in Lent, nor your power that keeps you in Lent, walking the way of the cross. It is the power of Jesus. And I'm praying for that power for you as your pastor. And I invite you to pray that for each other as ministers in God's kingdom. I'm praying for you to have hope in the resurrection of the body. I'm praying for you to know healing from false unions. And I'm praying for you that you would live out the beauty of holiness in this bodily life that you have now.
before we close, let me pray for you now. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Father, I join the prayers of Jesus for this congregation. And I ask that all these things that we've talked about, the hope for the resurrection and healing from false unions and the beauty of holiness, I pray that that would be the reality for every man, woman, and child here. I pray, Lord, uh, that they would receive the power of Jesus for all these things. I, and I want to encourage you now, if there's a false union that you want to commit to giving over to the Lord rather than carrying to intend that before him now. Now, Jesus, I pray that you would receive that into your cross and call them forward on a journey of healing. And Lord, I pray for this congregation, myself included, that, that we would know the joy of following Jesus in the upcoming season of Lent. And I pray that you would give everyone here discernment um, for ways to abstain from appetites that you're not calling them to. And I pray that you would awaken a deeper appetite for union with God as described in Psalm 42. I pray that our souls would cry out uh, hunger and thirst for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.